Good morning. Good morning. Hope each of y'all are doing well. It's marvelous. It's great to be together for our December Bible Moderators Gathering. It's hard to believe it's already December. It's gone so quickly, and it's hard to believe as we're making our way through the book of Acts that, that we're already through Acts 15 by the end of our time uh, next week as you teach. It's hard to believe. It's gone so quickly, and there's so much happening, but it is a wonderful passage for us this month as we look at this first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And we're looking today uh, at Acts chapters 13 through 15 using our study book, Let's Study Acts. And uh, uh, hey, hello, Libby. How are you today? Hey, hey, y'all. Where's everybody? Keep keep on. Uh, we can see you. Uh, can you see us? Yes, yes, I can. Okay. Why don't you put your com- I'm doing well. Why don't you put your computer on mute? Okay, I'll put it on mute. Perfect. Do it Absolutely. <laughs> so you know we're on this first missionary journey with with Paul and Barnabas, and it is an, it's so appropriate for this Christmas season uh, when we think about. The wonder, making the wonderful news of our Savior known. His coming into the world was all about the incarnation from the angels to the shepherds to the later the magi, uh, that uh, this wonderful news, making the Savior known. And that's what we find here in the book of Acts. So it's very relevant to our lives, very relevant to the season of the year. And... Uh, so as we, uh, as we look at Acts this month, I'd like for us to review, because at the very heart of the book of Acts is the person and work of our Savior, Jesus, and why it is that Jesus came. And the Bible is very clear, including the book of Acts, even our memory theme verse from Acts chapter 4 verse 12 gets to the heart of this. So let's review our memory work together for this year from Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Let's say it together. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4, 12. And this theme of and found in Acts chapter 4 is carried throughout the whole book. And we find it here as the gospel spreads. You know, the book of Acts, we've looked at how the Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where when the Holy Spirit came upon the Lord's people, uh, it was established that, that you would be my witnesses, Jesus says. And here in Acts chapter 1, we read of the geographic scope of the gospel and of being his witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And what we've seen in the book of Acts is the gospel making its progress, its headway from the headwaters of the church being established 
at Jerusalem to the spread of the gospel uh, to throughout Judea and Samaria. And you may remember how we talked about how that the gospel came and had a foothold in Antioch uh, through the ministry of, of, of Stephen and others because of the persecution related to, to that first martyrdom of Stephen. Christians were dispersed and spread out and took the gospel. They took Jesus with them wherever they went. And God used that. And just as God has us here as Christians, we have the message of the gospel. And he's put you ladies in your homes this Christmas season. Those children that might be coming with their mask on that need to hear the gospel or see it lived out or your neighbors down the street, the women in your circle that need encouragement and reminder of the true message of the gospel. That's what this is all about because all of us are on a missionary journey. Missionaries are not just overseas. Cross-cultural missionaries are overseas. But each of us have been entrusted with the message of the gospel. And each one of us, whether we're in person or online, have that privilege, that responsibility of taking the message of the good news of Jesus and making it known to others. And so even... I mean, think about the Apostle Paul himself. And the focus here is on this first missionary journey and largely having to do with the Apostle Paul and, of course, Barnabas, who accompanied him. We'll talk briefly about John Mark. But um, uh, the Apostle Paul, as he came to know the Lord Jesus, remember he he was off to persecute Christians, those who were part of the way when he was on that road to Damascus and he met the Lord Jesus as he was converted, he also received a call. Some of us may be converted, but there might be a sense of call in our lives later. But with the apostle Paul, Saul who becomes Paul, we see his name Paul used here as he now ministers in more of a Roman Empire, Greek speaking culture. He uses his more Greek name, Paul, instead of Saul. But Paul, uh, on the day in which he was converted, uh, uh, is told that he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel from Acts chapter 9, verse 15. And this is what we find happening here on this first missionary journey. We saw last time how the gospel had advanced even into the church that was growing in Antioch as uh, believers there because of the persecution were spread out and they took Jesus with them and the word spread and the church was growing in Antioch so that the believers in Jerusalem when they got word of that realized that this young Gentile church needed some mature leadership. And so they deputized and sent Barnabas to Antioch. And then Barnabas realized that the work was immense and he needed help. And he went and found Saul, the Apostle Paul, who joined him. 
And we read that they labored together in Antioch for a year, uh, encouraging, teaching, training, proclaiming the message of, of uh, the gospel. And it, is, it was this church in Antioch that had a clear sense from the truth of the word of God and the mission of the Lord Jesus through the prompting of the Holy Spirit that they should be part of the task of making Jesus known, of spreading the gospel, of evangelizing the world. And so they, under compulsion of the Holy Spirit, seek and pray for who would be most suited, who would be the best qualified people to go and take the gospel. And so Paul and Barnabas are selected. They're commissioned. They're prayed over. They're sent out in Jesus' name on behalf of the church at Antioch. And it certainly is exciting that this young church has this heart of a ministry mentality. And I think that's the thing we need to take away from this whole passage is am I willing to be a servant of Jesus to where he has placed me? Am I willing to take his name and make it known to others? Am I on a missionary journey? Am I taking the gospel? Who do I know that has never heard the gospel? And increasingly in our own culture, there are those who haven't heard the name of Jesus. I went recently with a local ministry down uh, down a street in our community that was very needy, very materially uh, poor, but also I'm told, and they know the people there, very spiritually needy and poor. There are people in our own community, maybe in your own family who don't know Jesus, And there's some who have never clearly heard the message of the gospel. And so this is this whole thrust of Acts chapters 12 to 15 should should resound to our own hearts. That question of the prophet Isaiah, of the Lord to the prophet Isaiah, who will go for us? And uh, for the triune God, who will make him known in his and his splendid, righteous glory. You know, and Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. And that's a question. Isaiah chapter 6, verse maybe 11, around 11. I don't think it's in the notes. Uh, And so that's the question for each of us. Am I willing to go or am I willing to speak where God has already placed me? But anyway, let's focus here. So, so they commission these ones. They're sent out. John Mark goes as a helper. and We read in Colossians that John Mark is actually a relative, I believe a cousin of Barnabas as well. And they make their way. And I put on our study notes, uh, I put a map. Maybe you've received this already. I tried to put a map that uh, is an overview of Paul's first missionary journey. I thought that may be more helpful than any other kind of image that could be on there to capture that first missionary journey. 
but you can see how that from Antioch they make their way to, to the island of Cyprus. And there as they uh, arrive on Cyprus, they go to the synagogue there and preach the gospel. Uh, th- this was the pattern to go to the Jew first, if you want to think about Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and then to the Greek. They would go to the synagogue first, teach, preach the gospel in uh, the synagogue, and then as that message was rejected, if and when it was rejected, they would turn then to uh, the Gentiles. And uh, this is the pattern that we find as they first made their way on the uh, western, the eastern edge of the island of uh, Cyprus and proclaimed the gospel. Uh, then they make their way to the western end of the island of Cyprus. And there, uh, there at uh, uh, Pathos, they... Uh, Paphos, rather, uh, which was the seat of Roman power, and the Roman proconsul was there, Sergius Paulus, and he was uh, very inclined towards the teaching of the Lord. We read, and uh, God used even God is able to work; He's a, even able to use the uh, the miraculous <laughs> blindness of this man who is called Bar-Jesus in a verse, and then in a verse or two after that is referred to in another way as Elimus. And uh, uh, this man is full of deception. He's seeking to to confuse the proconsul, to poison him against the gospel. But even in his blindness, the miraculous power of his, his blindness, the proconsul sees through to the light of the glory of Jesus. And here we find a miracle associated to authenticate the message of the gospel of Paul and those who join him there. Uh, and it, it is a, a, an astounding expression of the Lord's work. They make their way from the island of Cyprus and they go to the north uh, at, uh, at, Perga, at Pergama. They, uh, uh, John Mark separates from them. And as they go through Pamphylia, they cross a mountain range and they make their way eventually to, uh, to Pisidia, Antioch. And there we find an example of the preaching of the gospel. Now what I've done in my notes is I've divided this section of Acts chapters 13 to 15 in three units. The first is just kind of an overview of the first missionary journey. And then second point is to kind of delve in to Acts chapter 13, which is part of that journey where we learn of the message of the Apostle Paul 
at, uh, at Pisidian Antioch in, in verses 13 through 43. And then the third section has to do with the gospel that is unstoppable in the face of conflict or opposition of external and internal challenges. And that's Acts chapters 14 and 15. So I'm going to pause for a moment. Uh, we'll we'll kind of open it up for discussion for a couple minutes. And then what I'd like to do is to read this sermon of the Apostle Paul and for us to discuss some elements of it. In your notes, I've listed an outline that I came across in my own studies that I found to be helpful, and I wanted to pass that on to y'all. It's just a marvelous outline, simple outline that Gordon Ketty has prepared in his commentary on the book of Acts. Let's pause for a second here. Do you ladies get this thrust of, of mission of the Apostle Paul and those with him uh, and the sense of privileged obligation we have being entrusted with the gospel? I'm first going to go to those that are in person and then we'll turn to those, those of you who are online uh, for discussion or comments. Let's start with the room here in person. Comments or observations, thoughts on just this first section, this thrust of Paul and his missionary journey in the church. Okay, let me summarize what Carol Lashley just said. Basically, she was underscoring Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that it's not just for those first believers, but it's for each one of us who are followers of Jesus today, that we're to take that message and make it known. But the reality is sometimes we can get a little concerned or anxious or fearful, and we need the strength and boldness of, uh, of Paul and the others. How about other comments? I was thinking about the fact that, that, uh, that the Lord puts us where we need to be to be called, and um, it's not usually comfortable for us when He does it. And, uh, you know, just like these people, they, uh, with Stephen stoning, they're cast out of Jerusalem and they go to this other place with them, and then the church is growing and it's going forward. But, uh, but that can't have been pleasant for them, you know. My, my situation was a similar one for that as far as a missionary call is that I got placed in a situation that was not comfortable for me for a while, but in that situation, 
the Lord told me and, and continues to, you know, and it's not, not ever comfortable. I think what Judy uh, is reminding us is that uh, God places us where in situations, geographic situations that we might make the gospel known, sometimes it isn't always uh, comfortable. <laughs> At times it may not always be uh, the most enjoyable or pleasant, uh, but it's a great privilege and he places his people where he does and he's placed each of us where he's placed us. Any, any other thoughts? Yes. And so when I was going over this yesterday, because I've been doing the bit by bit, and doing the whole thing, that here, um, when he goes to the Greeks, that they want to worship, worship them, uh, and yeah. sacrifice to them. Mm-hmm. And so the, at first, with that great miracle and all this, and then, then the next day, I think they're stoning them. Dean is highlighting the reaction to the gospel uh, by those who receive it, especially the Greeks who joyfully received it, but then the jealousy of, of the Jewish leaders uh, when the crowd seemed to be gathering, and the, the Greeks who seem interested but then quickly turn. This is a, we'll come to this in a few minutes in chapter 14 uh, at Lystra where they uh, turn very quickly and are actually uh, affected. I think the word poison is used in the passage to describe what the unbelieving Jewish leaders did as they traced Paul, pursued him, and tried to poison the crowds. But how quickly they turned. Uh, Any any other final observations? Quickly, yes. Margaret's highlighting that we are all called as missionaries, but that calling may change slightly in terms of circumstances, and that whenever we follow Jesus, there's always a cost. And here we learn in the passage of the cost, and there may be costs or consequences for us. We should not be surprised that we might suffer for the sake of the gospel. Uh, I know Jesus reminds his disciples, his original followers, of that so that they would not be taken by surprise 
nor should we in the day in which we live, because there is opposition to the truth of the gospel. Uh, darkness does not like light, and uh, but God is at work. Let, let's turn to those of you who are uh, online, if there are comments you would like to make or observations so far. David, I've They went there that God gave Paul a time of restoration um, in the midst of his ministry. Certainly he was still ministering, but he had been stoned. We forget sometimes. That was huge. And he was given apparently less, um, there was less um, opposition to him at that point because we don't hear a lot about it, and, and he was given time to rest and to um, be healed, I believe. Yes. He was so strengthened that in the grace of the Lord, he went back to the very city where that stoned him with the message of the gospel again. Yes. Other, other thoughts from online? Well, let's look for a few moments at this sermon that the Apostle Paul preached here in Antioch Pisidian or Pisidian Antioch. It's found in chapter 13 of Acts verses 13 through 43. And what I would like to do, I'm going to, I may read certain sections of this to keep track of our, of our, of our time. Uh, uh, I'm going to start here at verse 16. So Paul stood up, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years... He put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took place 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offering, God, offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me is one coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God to us, 
has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it was written in the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded, astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you as they went out. The people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Well, here in this, in this summary of a sermon, we are given the message of the Apostle Paul to the believers gathered there in this synagogue in Antioch Pisidian. And here is an example for us of the summary of the message of the Bible. Now, if you listen to the sermon that Dr. Thomas preached this last week, you'll see that the sermons in the book of Acts, that there is much parallel There's a reminder of what God had done in the past and that God is a God of promise, that God made promises to his people and that those promises are fulfilled in Jesus. But you, you Jews, instead of receiving the promise, you fulfilled the promise by persecuting and crucifying Jesus. But God raised him from the dead. And you are to believe for the forgiveness of your sins. Verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man 
forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. For by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. He invites them to place their faith, their trust in Jesus. Now, Paul was trained under the great teacher, the great rabbi, Gamaliel. Paul was a known Jewish Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. We read in Philippians about his pedigree. This is no fly-by-night preacher coming into town. This is a man who was schooled and educated in the most literate of Jewish training. Uh, that God had drawn to the Savior, and he, who is highly respected, is opening the Scriptures. The book of Psalms, the prophet Isaiah, uh, he's, all of them that speak of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so here is just a marvelous example for us to, of what is the message that we are to make known. And of course... The Apostle Paul is speaking to in a, in a synagogue. The way in which Paul speaks in a synagogue is different than what we read in other passages where he is speaking to those who have no knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. But there are many lessons for us to learn, and I think it's helpful for us to hear that this has been preserved for us that we might know what is the apostolic message of the gospel? What is the true message of salvation of Jesus as proclaimed by the earliest of Christian believers? Uh, That we be faithful in what we say about Jesus to others. It's a marvelous example. It's an example of life. The apostle Paul didn't hold his own life dear He was willing to even be stoned for the sake of the gospel, but also not only by example, but by word we can learn from the Apostle Paul. And isn't that marvelous that we're given not only the story of the journey, which is uh, his example, but we're given the content of what was communicated. So it's, it's word and example that's preserved for us here which is a marvelous uh, pedagogical device that God has chosen in, in scripturated revelation to us that we might be faithful to the Lord Jesus where he has placed us. So I've included just this outline that I found just very simple and helpful. Uh, it's the outline of promise and proclamation, which is the fulfillment of promise in Jesus. And then God's provision of saving faith and grace through the Lord Jesus as the people would believe. Um, It was mentioned earlier how that many did enthusiastically embrace and receive and believe and wanted the Apostle Paul to continue to come back the next Sabbath day and teach again with the understanding that he likely was doing he and Barnabas, informal teaching throughout the week as well. Uh, But there were those who stiffened their hearts uh, and closed their ears. And the apostle 
Paul, on the day in which he came to know the Lord Jesus and was called as an apostle to make him known, he was also reminded in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Not only is there the reality of suffering, but that suffering is met with faithfulness and boldness. We read here in 13, verse 46 of Acts, that you know, despite the opposition that Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. So, uh, spoke out boldly. And so here we have the message, the preaching of the gospel that is, a, that is what we're called to do. Speaking to the Bible moderators of Circle. She didn't realize she's not a good. I got in, but I didn't put myself in the room. So we come now how that in the midst of opposition, there's boldness and faithfulness because Jesus has promised that his gospel in church will prevail. Remember that great passage of Jesus that he said that I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And here is that promise applied in this situation. These men are at the gates of hell, as it were, where people were pushing against them, uh, seeking to stone the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. Uh, They learn of a plot and flee from that stoning. Uh, As they make their way to Lystra, they mistakenly identify Paul and Barnabas as Zeus and uh, gods, Greek gods Zeus and Hermes. You know, there was a legend in this city of Lystra that uh, many, that was kind of well known that that Zeus and Hermes would come as men and they would come needy. They would come begging for food and lodging and everyone would resist them besides one couple. And this one couple, their home would become an enormous elaborate temple and they would be priests in this temple and Zeus and Hermes would destroy everyone else and after this couple died, they would become large trees, uh, was the legend. So here they think, as they see this miraculous healing of this man lame from birth, that Zeus and Hermes have come among them, and they seek to worship them. Now, anyone who's involved in ministry can know the temptation to succumb, to curry the favor, to want to receive the adulation and admiration of others. But they make it clear that glory is not to be for them. They're not in it for themselves. They're in it for the glory of God. And they tear their clothes in in disgust, in a sign of, of judgment against the blasphemy of what was just 
spoken and attempted to do, they knew that they were not uh, divine. And they call, use that as an occasion to preach the good news of the gospel, that they would flee from Zeus and Hermes and worship the true and living God. Um, But here, as there was a great reception, we find that the seed of the woman uh, is, is, uh, is the Lord Jesus is in conflict with the seed of the serpent. Go back to Genesis 3.15. And that there is conflict between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And the unbelieving Jews of the kingdom of darkness traveled, look back on your map, <laughs> they traveled a long way across mountain ranges to get uh, to, to, to Lystra, uh, where uh, Paul and Barnabas were. Some estimated, they, some may have traveled up to 130 miles to disturb the crowds that they would not receive the truth. And the fickle crowds turn. They turn against the apostle Paul. Uh, they, on one occasion, they learn of a threat and flee. And then uh, Paul is stoned, as we heard, uh, left for dead, but is restored and strengthened and goes back to preach uh, at Derby uh, the everlasting message of, of Jesus. You know, he disregarded, I'm looking at my notes now, he, he had a complete disregard to physical threats, and he made the glorious and good news of the gospel known. Wherever Paul went, he went not just to win converts. He sought to establish churches, Christian communities. He knew that the Lord Jesus had said, I will build my church. And so one of the things he does, he and Barnabas with him, is that wherever they go, they seek to establish Christian leadership. Look at chapter 14 and in verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They appointed elders those who would be under shepherds, to love, to nourish, to teach, to serve, to lay their lives down for the flock. Uh, And so we learn of their commitment to the church and to the local church of the Lord Jesus, wherever it was. And they exhorted these Christians to continue in the faith, uh, despite opposition it is through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom, we learn. But the problems were not just from outside of opposition. There began to be problems from within the church. The enemy not only wants to bring destruction from outside, but that crafty serpent seeks to bring division and destruction and error from within. Uh, Jude talks about how that there were men who crept in unaware, promoting error. 
And we find in the opening verse of chapter 15, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That was a clear error of the true message of the gospel. That was a salvation of works that one had to perform and do something. In this case, Judaistic uh, uh, circumcision in order to be saved. But there were also there was also another error that was introduced. And, and the second is the requirement of keeping the law, every aspect of the law, for living the Christian life. Now, the Bible teaches that the moral aspect of the law that all Christians, we're, we're to honor the Ten Commandments. They have not been abolished with the coming of our Savior. But Jesus fulfilled all the ceremonial aspects of the law. All of the sacrifices found their fulfillment in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of the judicial and civil laws ultimately find their fulfillment in Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But there were those insisting upon the continuation of the Jewish ceremonial and even civil or judicial aspects of the law. And it became such a concern at this, in this young church that Paul and Barnabas left them for a time that they may consult with the believers in Jerusalem. And there is a great gathering uh, known as the Council uh, Jerusalem, uh, described here in Acts chapter 15, where Peter recounts how God had taken the message to the Gentiles and his own understanding. You remember the sheet that came down. Nothing is unclean. Eat. And then Paul and Barnabas recount what God was doing among the Gentiles. And then thirdly, James speaks up. He affirms, uh, quoting Scripture here uh, from the book of Amos. Uh, chapter 9, that God's plan was to save the Gentiles as Gentiles. That the Gentiles would not first have to become Jews and then in order to become Christians. But that God's plan was, as we read in verse 17 of chapter 15, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, God had people from every tribe and every nation who be, belong to Jesus and part of his church is what's being argued here by these early Christian believers. So the way of salvation is not through observing the ceremonial law. It's through a faith in the Lord Jesus who perfectly kept the law. For the Christian, we are to keep the moral law 
but the ceremonial and judicial law are aspects of the law that are not necessary for living the Christian life. They find their fulfillment in our priest and king, Jesus. And there is a practical instruction here that Jew and Gentile in the church might live in harmony, that they would be respectful of one another. And while the Jews were not to insist on circumcision, the Gentiles were to be respectful of the food that they ate, respecting their Jewish brothers and sisters, uh, not uh, causing them to stumble, as it were. But the Gentiles, many who were, had been part of pagan ritual, uh, for example, many of them were part of the Aphrodite religion, focused on Venus, the goddess of love and fertility, including uh, uh, prostitution as, as part of their worship. It's hard to imagine these Gentiles were to separate from these old ways of life and live morally right and pure lives uh, before the Lord because they have been changed by Jesus. And so this is all put down in writing. And it is sent by Paul and Barnabas back to the Gentile churches. And the Gentile churches receive the news with great joy. The church is expanding. The church is united in the Savior Jesus. There's a clear articulation of the way of salvation in Christ alone, by faith alone, apart from works. Uh, we're not saved by keeping the law. We're to keep the moral law. Uh, we are to guard the gospel. We are to maintain Christian solidarity, the gift of the unity that we have in Jesus together. There's a lot that a lot more could be said. I'm just going to pause here. I'm going to allow some comments and discussion. Let's first go to those of you who are online. If you have comments or discussion. Anything you'd like to mention? Yeah, I wanted to make a couple comments about um, your sermon, um, or Paul's sermon. Um, first of all, it just amazes me that the apostles always led the Bible. <laughs> you know, that phrase I think was referred to by John Bunyan at one point, led the Bible. But they were always ready. You know, I mean, they didn't know that they were going to be preaching from them.
you know, if they were Jewish, it was slightly different than if they were Gentile, you know. And so it was always adapted. And even, you know, many people have learned, you know, like the evangelistic explosion um, plans for the gospel. But even there, you know, it gives you the rudiments, but you have to be able to adapt it to the people you come to. Um, so I just think there's a lot to learn from that sermon. Thank you, Phyllis. So helpful. Other comments? Well, I, um, I listened to a sermon um, by Liam Gallagher on, on the very first part of Acts 15, and I thought it was kind of fascinating. He pointed out that if you look at all the religions of the world, the most factious is Christianity. I mean, there's a couple of different, you know, persuasions in Islam, but, you know, there's there are so many. Our, the Christian church is so divided. And it's because we have the truth, and Satan is the father of lies. And and it talks about in Revelations where um, it pictures Satan as a river of lies coming out of his mouth and attacking the church. And so um, this is kind of an example of that, where um, you know where the 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 Jews that believers in in Jerusalem now come and um, and attack the truth really yes and, and a lot of the uh, those factions are all from within the church it's false false teachers from within the church that cause all this division that we see in in the Christian faith and and that that's that's really even an apologetic because, you know, why would there be so many except that the enemy is attacking? Absolutely, and what a reminder for us to, as, as the scripture reminds us, to test the spirits, to examine everything that's said, whether it's, whether it's in this lectern at Bible Moderators or from our pulpit, is it in accord with what the scripture teaches? I'm going to turn just for a moment. I see we just have another minute or two uh, to those that are in person for any final comments or observations. Uh, anyone has? They care to mention anything briefly? Carol is saying there is inherent power in the gospel that we can trust and rely on the gospel in its truth and power and not gimmicks. This is the way I'm putting it. Any other comments? It's ex- and it's, it's underscored that what uh, Paul is doing is what he has said, preaching Christ and him crucified. Well, how about if I close us with prayer? I think we're to our time. Let's give thanks to our God. Our Father and our God, our hearts rejoice in you. We praise you that you are the God of redemption. And we know that you are a God who has loved us with an everlasting love. You sent your Son, our Savior. And you have made us new. You have entrusted us with the message of life. 
the message of the gospel. And we pray that we might be faithful to taking your word and gospel. That we may make Jesus and the good news of life in his name known to others. I thank you for each of these women and ask your blessings, your love to rest upon them as they teach your word, encourage them. We pray that you would continue to draw many to yourself, that this uh, Christmas season would be a harvest season where men and women and children know why Jesus came and that our Lord Jesus might be exalted. We give you thanks and praise and I commit each of these women and their studies to you next week. In Jesus, our Savior's name we pray. Amen.